turn open to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. As I was reviewing my notes last night, it came upon me that I may have two sermons here. But, 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 but not, in, not, in, not, not like I prepared two different topic sermons. It's just there's so much. Now, you guys have suffered through enough of me preaching long. And so, it's not as late as I thought it was. We can get this done in an hour and 20 minutes. It's not a problem. Just kidding. Matthew 13. We're looking at a concept called the F train. And what I'm trying to do is not just focus on the train. Because it's real easy to get caught up in the illustration. The illustration is going to be helpful. But the principle behind it is what you need to grasp. If you notice in your handout, you're going to have three little cars that are put together for you with a paper clip. You've got your engine that consists of facts. You've got your box car, your coal car in the middle that is faith. And you've got your caboose that are feelings. Now this is meant for you to put anywhere that you are going to remember it and see it, especially in the midst of predicaments. And here's the reason why. When you come across issues in your life where you need to make a decision, or you're tempted to do something, or life's just going bad, you can sit down with this and you can ask, which one of these cars is the lead car at the moment? And we're going to break through and talk about each one of these. We spent some time talking about facts, and we're going to. This is God's Word alone. This is what the facts are. Only God speaks truth. And He has spoken truth through His Word. Therefore, what He has to say is the final authority on everything. The faith is what you believe about a particular thing. What is the greatest conviction that you have? What is the highest truth? that you are accepting in any matter in your life? What do you really believe to be true? Feelings. We all know feelings, don't we? No. I did that last week. I did that last week. I think I repelled some people. But I want to open in telling you a story. And it's a fresh story. In fact, it just happened yesterday. Every now and again... I try to spend some personal time with Nathaniel, just he and I. Father and son, hang out, go do whatever, we have fun. You know we end up at Cracker Barrel. Don't play like you don't. We're sharing our eggs and our ham and our bacon and our pancakes together, having a good time. He's being a good boy. Praise the Lord for that. Then after that, we go over to Kalahari and let him play some games. We ride the Ferris wheel together. He likes getting up really high looking at the trucks. And I thought, well, buddy, your mom said that you might need some sandals for summer. And maybe, now that everything is more springy, we should go over to the mall and see if they're running any deals. So he's, he's great. He's in the back riding, driving around. We're talking, having a good time. He's singing his Jesus music. You ought to hear him sometime if I get him to do it. But the parking lot's full. It's a madhouse. And I need to park down by the end where Old Navy is because I've got to get in there and I've got to get one of those little cars to drive him around. It's so much easier. We're not carrying a stroller with us anymore or that. But he can just sit in there. He moves the wheel. He loves looking around at everything, thinks it's great. 
cool. So we need to park over there. So I'm driving around. You know how it is. You're waiting for the parking spot? You know, see? Identification. <laughs> so I move over to the second little lot. I'm looking over those stripes that are at the end of each one. People are parking there where they're not even spots. And I thought, well, I love the Lord. I'm not going to do that, right? So I keep going around here, going around here. And finally, you get the glimpse of somebody pulling out, right? That's what you're waiting for. It's like the promised land is open to you. And so I drive up there, and I'm sitting there. I stop. You turn on your blinker, right? Everyone on the face of the earth knows I have every intention to get into this spot once it's vacated. Can everybody feel the caboose? And so I'm watching. She's taking her that's okay. It's easy for me to be patient knowing the spot that I'm going to have. So I'm waiting. Me and Nathaniel are talking. And I'm watching. Cars go by. Cars go by. Car comes down through here. Sees that I'm getting ready to turn in. Gives me the wave. Keeps going. I thought, praise the Lord. This is good. And then I see a white Buick. Does anybody in here drive a white Buick? This wasn't you. <laughs> Is that what it was at Illinois Place? They were from Madison. So anyway, I'm waiting to turn in. And I see this Buick go back. Because I'm watching front and back. I'm watching. Because I can tell people are getting ready to get stupid, okay? Blinker's on. It's been clicking forever so much it's just registered in my mind by now. Car goes around. They come around here. And she pulls in and she stops. And I look at her and I thought, this woman is going to try to grab my spot. <laughs> and now she's backing up a line of cars behind her because she's waiting for this spot. Now, God loved the lady who was pulling out, okay? She can't see. She got cars on both sides. She doesn't know. But she pulls out this way, blocking me from getting in there. She didn't mean to. And the lady in the Buick went, <laughs> and it was, it looked like, it might have been you. The parking job was that bad, Jim. It was like this. She was diagonal. And my eyes, I could feel them grow. And I could feel the steering wheel start to squish between my fingers as I gripped it with all my might. I felt like I had Twinkies in my hands. <laughs> And my heart started racing. And I looked over at her and I looked at the people behind her and the people behind her were going. <laughs> like, why in the world would she do that? And I went. Burr! And I could see her in the rear view mirror. She had her cell phone out. I'm sure she's ready to call 911 because she knows what she just did. She knows. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit calls out from the back seat. Daddy, what's wrong? I said... Nathaniel, this lady did a very mean thing. 
she pulled into this parking spot that we've been sitting here waiting for all this time. And it was cute. But then he said, where's the lady? And I said, that's exactly what daddy wants to know. (laughs) And then it dawned on me, you've got to preach on the F train tomorrow. Because my feelings were very much up front of everything I was getting to do. And Satan uses those opportunities. You know, you could do this. Well, you could do this. You know that stick that your wife keeps in her car just in case anybody tries to invade? It would probably crack a taillight or two. Hey, you're only giggling because you think that and won't admit it to anybody. That's how the enemy's like, I can tell. His desire is to sift me like wheat right there. Run me through the grinder. And so I've got to stop and I've got to ask myself, what is going on here? Hold it. I'm so angry about not possessing something that I thought was mine when it's really not mine at all. Now, it doesn't help that as we were walking around the mall, the constant phrase I'm hearing is, where's the lady? Where's the lady? I said, son, don't worry about the lady right now. It's okay. And I told him, she didn't mean things to us. But that doesn't mean we need to do mean things back. We need to forgive her and we need to move on. And he seemed pretty content with that. Right on, okay. So we're going around looking for stuff. There there are no well-priced sandals at the mall. Let me save you the trouble. Okay, let me save you from getting your F train out of whack. But so we get done, put the cart back. Say, come on, buddy, let's go. We get out there. As soon as we walk in, daylight hits his face. Where's that lady? I said, let's not worry about it. As I stared at her car the whole time we were walking to ours, right? Let's not worry about it. That was a mess. And I realized it probably wasn't until 5 o'clock that I finally felt like my shoulders could let go of that tension. Because on a very silly and minute scale, that's what life does to us. Life throws that type of junk in our face. And all of it's a test. How are you going to handle this? Now, it was so unrighteous what she did. I'm not about to say that the Lord had her pull in that spot. That was totally Satan's work, okay? Without a shadow of a doubt. But the question is, get this, it never is, what have other people done to me? It is always, how am I going to handle it? That's always the question. We spend so much time trying to control others that we forget that the responsibility is right here. And it's unto this. We were all born into this life, sinful, without... Now understand this, that means negative, without the ability to live it. The sooner we come to grips with that truth, the better off we will be. You and I cannot live this life. We cannot. You say, well, I seem to be doing just fine how I am. Let me rephrase a little bit. 
you and I cannot live this life apart from sin being an essential ingredient to how we get things done. And that's anything from just out and out lying about it. It's everything from our inflated pride about situations and how we want to control other people. Everybody else is stupid. We know the best thing to do. We know that attitude. From just simply thinking less of others who seem to be less than you and me. We all suffer from this. We all struggle with different ways about how to make things work. It's so terrible to think that a parent would actually consider that their child is not smart enough to get into college, so they pay all of this money to get them into University of Southern California. I wonder if the child has stopped for a second and go, am I really that dumb? The answer might be yes. But that doesn't justify using evil to get things accomplished. We live in a world where we have to use sin. So, how do we make it work? Well, number one, and this seems like a radical solution, but it is the solution God's given us, you and I have to die. That's what happens. When we become believers in Jesus Christ, it says we were crucified with him. We die with him. We die to this sin life, this self life with him. But just as we die with him, we are resurrected to a newness of life. That means new identity. That means new calling. That means new purpose. And all of this newness of life is a new thing that we have to learn to navigate through. Thank the Lord. And it doesn't come from Ram McNally. But we have the atlas. We have the map. We have all of the answers. The problem is, is we're so ingrained or we've become so comfortable with the path of sin to get things accomplished. This is a new thing to introduce. And let's be honest. Is this an intimidating book? I got to witness to somebody this week and I tried to give them a Bible. They just looked at it like this. Now, granted, it was one of the large print Bibles. When I opened it up, their face shined like Moses's, but still. Say, good grief, that's a big book. Well, it's because it's 66 books in one. That didn't comfort them at all. This is an intimidating book. It's a lot to know. But here's the thing. If we will take the time to know it, we now have a direction of how to better handle problems. You ever read the Bible and you're like, wow, this is amazing. This is neat. This is, it must have been really neat to live in their time and their lives, be in their shoes to see what's going on. It seems explosive. And then you sit here and you look around and you think, hmm, I don't get it. How come there's such a disconnect between these two? Why don't we have power? Matthew 13, I think, gives us a very interesting situation. Jesus is teaching, and he decides he is going to go back to Nazareth where he was raised. And as he's teaching in the synagogue, it's very interesting because a lot of people start to say, wait a second, isn't this Jesus? Don't we know his brothers? Don't we know his sisters? Don't we know who his mom and dad are? I mean, we know this guy. I think it's interesting they never said, don't we know how perfect he was the whole time? Nobody ever says that. But they're like, we know him. we're, We're putting him on terms that are so relatable and familiar with us that we're not esteeming him as God, as holy, 
as righteous, as above all of the ideals that we set for ourselves of what success and achievement look like. And it's very interesting because in chapter 13, look at 57. And they took offense at him. They were offended by Jesus. Now think about this. It says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles. Stop. Do you have a marginal note there next to miracles? He did not do many miracles. What's it say? Works of power. He did not do many works of power because he was unable, because he was insufficient. No, look what it says. Because of their unbelief. One of the greatest reasons why we don't see power in our lives is because of unbelief. Now don't get me wrong. I am a staunch advocate and I fought with the Southern Baptist for years over this subject. I'm a staunch advocate of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and I actually believe that alone means alone. Okay? So I believe that we play no works in it whatsoever. It's all about Jesus' work. God is not obligated to save us, but out of his grace, his undeserved and unmerited favor towards us, he does save us. He does give us a savior. He does pay for our sin problem. He does forgive sin entirely. And he does give eternal life as a free gift and all of it we do not deserve in any way, shape, or form. I am a very staunch advocate of that. Done deal. Cut and dry. But what I don't like is when we stop there, we think that's the end. Great, I'm saved. Yay! Yes, you are. And Christ has done an amazing work in your life. And if you don't access it, it is of no benefit to you. I wonder sometimes if our ho-hum mentality to a lot of the gathering of the church is due to not accessing everything that we have in Christ. You may not know this, or you may know this all too well, especially if you've suffered a tragedy and have come out well on the other side because of what God has done. Our lives are lives of dependency. Anybody ever seen those V8 commercials? The guy that didn't eat their, didn't eat, drink their V8, And he's all walking like this, right? That is exactly how we are to be leaned into Christ. Completely. Totally. Holy. It is by His grace we have been saved through faith. And not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works so that we can boast. We know those, right? But we stop there. Anybody know what verse 10 says of Ephesians 2? For we are his workmanship. And it's in the plural, meaning the church. We are his workmanship. And the word workmanship is a Greek word that talks about a carefully crafted, ornate, and beautiful situation. In fact, it's where we get the English word poem from. We are his elegant and carefully crafted poem we are his masterpiece created in christ jesus for what good works that we should walk in them 
One of my greatest concerns is that we're not walking in good works. Or if we're walking in good works, we think that we're walking, but the problem is it's us walking. We're doing it. And then we're wondering why burnout is. We're wondering why we're having to scramble for volunteers for nursery and for children's church and things like that. The reason why we're scrambling for all those things, I am convinced, is because when I think about doing something or serving in the body of Christ in and of my own volition, it is daunting and it is overwhelming. And it's just not worth my time. That is not a life that has lived in dependency. It's not a life that is leaning wholly into Christ. And for us to think that we could live this life apart from him is unbelief. And we wonder why there are no works of power that he is doing amongst us. Remember, we're not after great things. We're after God things. Why? Because he's the one that gets the glory, not me. He's the one we're praising, not me. Therefore, everything that transpires needs to be directed to him. And that doesn't just include in these walls, but outside of these walls. Daily life. Monday. Monday is to be a day of dependency on the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Don't just, I'm in church, I've got to say yes. No! Don't even answer out loud. Think. Do I really believe that Jesus Christ, my Savior, the Son of God, by whom all things were created, is sufficient for every problem, need, predicament, situation, care, worry, stress, and strife that I have in my life? Is he able? Think. Think. Because I'm concerned that our choices would often say otherwise. We may give lip service but our hearts may be far from him. And that's what I want to address with the F train. I have to have notes today, just to let you guys know. Sermon 2 starts about right there. So, Let's talk about your first train, or your first car. Facts. Everybody hold it up. Make sure that you got it. If you don't have one, does, does anybody need one? I've got about two or three of them. Who needs one? Everybody put your hands down if you got your car. You need one. All right, Chris. Here you go. I'm giving you a train. Don't say I didn't do anything. Here we go. Train. Who else needs some? Here we go. Right here. Train. Excellent. Anybody else? We good? No, here you go, brother. All right. Facts. All of the power lies in the facts. The facts are what God has said and what God has said alone. If we think that anything else is true in life, we are saying that there are competing authorities. Now, why is this important? Let's think back to when we were going through the Old Testament, what God establishes in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. The very first sentence, he establishes himself as creator. Everything else is created. Therefore, there is automatically a hierarchical system that is put into place. He is the creator. We are the creation. We are his creatures. God establishes himself as an authority from verse 1. This is what keeps people from submitting to the F train. 
Because in your engine is authority. If you need to write it under facts, go ahead and do so. Whatever you need to put on here so that this gets lodged in your mind. Authority. Anybody need a pen? I got one. Here we go, girl. Catch it. Oh, Bob. Oh, you okay? Okay. Sorry, brother. Okay, he was writing. Good. Check on our insurance policy. Okay. Authority. It's what is true. Do you realize that every situation that you're involved in in life has an authority? Everyone is answerable to someone. Everyone has an authority. Think about the authorities in your life. And I'm not just talking about the cops. Hopefully the cops aren't too much of an authority in your life. But think about the authorities in your life. When you're in an argument with somebody else, what's the authority? When you're in an argument with your child, who's the authority? Are you sure? Because I wouldn't gather that today from what I'm seeing. Not in here. I'm just saying in life in general. A lot of times it's like, well, the lawn doesn't look so bad to me. Go mow the lawn, right? You're the authority. You are the authority in the situation. God has blessed you to be the standard of truth that speaks into that situation. Direction, guiding, coaching, and setting the bar. Authority. That shouldn't surprise us. So anything that we have in our life of where we need answers, we have got to take it to the authority of life. And the authority of life, it's very interesting how the words are so similar, is the author of life. Jesus Christ is the facts. He alone, he alone is the word of God. And thankfully, we have that word fleshed out for us on paper so that we can understand it. So every situation that we deal with has got to be brought to the scriptures in some way. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Now, what is the problem? And we may deal with feelings next week. But what is the problem when faith becomes the lead car? Faith is a conviction that you have. You are convinced about a truth. Okay? If the facts say, well, what did God say about this situation? Faith is always asking, do I believe it? Because here's what you find. Even for people who know what God says, and they say, you know what? I know what he's told me, but I'm going to do this. It tells me that you believe that there is a greater authority or truth than God speaking into history. You know what happens? You need to get on a different track. Because you're not going the same direction that the facts are going. You are going on your own track. Your own track is a dead end, I promise you. It is a wily e. Coyote cliff waiting to happen. Right over the edge. Now, everybody is sincere in belief, aren't they? Anybody ever met religious people? I'm religious. Nobody's doubting their faith. They have confidence in something. They have a conviction that something is true. We have a lot of convictions about things. We're convinced that there needs to be climate control, or we're convinced that crime needs to be cleaned up off the streets. We all, all of them tend to be political issues in some way. People have got deep and heavy convictions about a lot of different things. But what happens when it becomes crazy? 
The reason why this is such a mess is because when you start dealing with what somebody believes about something, you are striking at the center of what they hold true. Right? I believe that Star Wars is better than Star Trek. (gasps) How dare you? And all the nerds are in a war, right? It's a scary time. People fight over some of the silliest things sometimes. There are some people, I mean, what? help me. What is a conviction that you see that people have where you're like, that's weird. What is it? What's that? (laughs) Toilet paper over the top or bottom. Do you realize that people have been on the verge of divorce in some of those issues? Of where that goes? Honey, what did you do while you were in here? Have you ever noticed that if you're one of those people that holds that conviction, for some reason, it's a real serious conviction. How do we get so bent out of shape about toilet paper? It's odd. Here's a way you identify some of these things. Well, I believe. Well, you ought to. Well, you shouldn't. Well, nobody does that. Well, everybody believes this. And notice that they are giving emphatic statements Somehow bringing a consensus like the more people that you have, the more true that it is. Pragmatic decisions have rarely worked for anyone. Mac or PC? That's already done. We know PC wins that one. So, (laughs) now here's... You're getting ready to get fired. (laughs) When people get defensive, like I am right now, or they throw up a defense mechanism, here's the reason why when you strike at what we really believe about something. is because what you're really trying to do is you're trying to excuse sin. That's what it is. Anytime that faith is the lead car... You're trying to excuse your sin. Well, how dare you say that 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 may be true for you, but that's not true for me. Notice we're talking about competing convictions and what is the real fact of the matter. Everybody follow me so far? Okay, the notes, I promise you, I've lined all this out and put faith, facts, feelings all throughout so you can see how this works. Turn with me to Ephesians 4 real quick. And let me give you an example. In the church that Paul understood this would become a problem and that it is the complete antithesis of everything that the church exists for. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4. You're probably familiar with this, and honestly, we, we need to start going over this passage more and more and more because I can't think of a better idea that sets the end goal of the church. A lot of pastors today are in things like vision casting and stuff like that. I don't find that anywhere in the Bible whatsoever. But what I do find is that the Apostle Paul laid down a mandate that every church has this as its goal. So now watch this. Look at verse 11, Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and we would make the argument that with the completion of the New Testament, and if you read Ephesians 3. With the completion of the New Testament, we no longer need those offices. Those are no longer valid offices for the church today. But notice what we do have. Notice it says after that, and some as evangelists. That's an interesting conversation to have. And some as pastors and teachers, or some people would say pastor teachers. It it, it can very much be 
click together there, okay? Now look what it says. Why are they here? For the equipping of the saints. Stop. Who are the saints? You guys are, exactly. Watch this. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. In other words, it's doctrine plus application. To the building up of the body of Christ. There's your end result. Everything that happens within the body of Christ should be the purpose of building up. Okay, now watch what he says here. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Are we unified? Well, I would hope so here, right? But there are some places where we're not. We have to be aware of those things. All things to the building up of the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ is built up, what's it look like? Unity. Watch what happens. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, an experiential knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, His power is constantly living in our lives as we fellowship with one another day in and day out. It's Acts chapter 2 type stuff. So moving on here, he says, To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, experiencing Him fully, beginning to end, top to bottom, He is saturating the body. Now watch this. As a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children. What happens with children, immature Christians in the church? Watch this. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Does everybody get the mentality of a ship out on on a rough uh, sea? Okay, so we get that. Smacked around, back and forth, cargoes flying, men are jumping, the whole thing. Notice it says what that looks like. By trickery of men. Any tricky men in here? Let's hope not. Notice what it says. By craftiness in deceitful scheming. Trickery of men and deceitfulness in... What does it say? Deceitfulness, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. Both of those are faith as the lead car. Well, I think we should go this way. Well, I think this is what we should do. Isn't being deceived, not knowing it happened until after you already realize you're on the wrong track, way down the line? It's false teaching. It's someone teaching the body falsely because they have a conviction that it ought to be this way. That's not facts. That's faith. That's faith leading in the wrong direction. And when faith are not in the facts of Scripture... And they're just a confident conviction by themselves. They are unbelief. The power of God will not rest there if that is the case. Now let's move on and complete this up because it's too sweet not to do so. Verse 15, but speaking the what? There's your facts. Everybody see how that happened? Everybody see how Paul plays those against one another. It's not trickery of men. It's not craftiness and deceitful scheme. No, we speak the truth. We speak the facts in love. We hold to sound doctrine in love. God's word is the only guide. Notice, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, because you can't grow any other way if truth is not up front. If the facts are not the engine, your train can't go forward. Only in the facts is the power. Nobody has ever gone out there and seen a coal car trying to make it to a destination by itself. It doesn't work. Moving on. From whom the whole body, all of us, being fitted and held together 
by what every joint supplies. That means everybody is actively working into this goal, trusting the Lord and operating because of that conviction. It says here, according to the proper working of each individual causes the growth of the body. Every single person is indispensable to the body of Christ, working together, and all of it working together builds up the body of Christ to be mature as it ought to be. Notice what it says, for the building up of itself in what? Are we a loving church? We have that as part of our mission statement. But is that what's going on, or is that, a, 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 a what, what will we say, something to aspire to? Loving people to life in Christ, is that what we're doing day in and day out? I completely agree that it's a biblical mandate, but are we doing it? Are we convinced that it's true? Does the fact that that's what Jesus calls us to propel us forward? Or, well, I've got my own opinions about that. Well, I don't think it should be done that way. Are we arguing with it? When we do that, our convictions, our faith becomes the lead car and cannot go anywhere. We think we're making ground. We're not. In fact, what you find out is when other people won't get behind your faith car that's not going anywhere and leading the charge, you usually have grumbling and complaining that takes place. You know what those are? An outpouring of your feelings. Because feelings follow faith wherever it goes. Feelings are the leaves, but the unbelief in faith from not having properly rooted facts, that's the trunk. Everybody with me? Everybody get this? Okay, I'm not trying to be confusing, but I want to make sure that we grasp this idea. How about this with religious people? Let's look at this. Acts 17. Paul deals with religious people, and he deals with them well. Just let you know, I do have two sermons, and I'm not going to preach them both today. I will spare you. Right? All of you think I just got saved. Okay, it's good. Acts 17. Paul is talking to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans are materialists. The Stoics are pantheists, gods in everything. They are, man, nothing's new under the sun. All this new age meditation garbage that all these people are doing, throwing oil at one another and rubbing crystals and weird things like that, it's not new. They were doing this in Athens in Acts chapter 17. Paul came across them, had to deal with it. In fact, it says in verse 16, when Paul entered the city of Athens, his heart was provoked, his spirit was provoked because he saw that the city was full of idols full of idols. I was talking with somebody that had an experience like that this past week. It disturbed them to no end because they walked into somebody's house and it was just a shrine. And they said, good grief, what is going on here? It's frightening. Paul is upset. Why? Because they faith's not their problem. Notice that. Faith isn't these people's problems. Look at They believe in a lot of stuff. They just believe in a lot of garbage. It's a lot of stuff that doesn't go anywhere. They just believe in the multiple masks of Halloween that Satan has put on. That's all it is. All of it's demonic. All of it's satanic. Preacher, you're being too harsh. No, it's either true or it's a lie. It's either of God or it's not. There is no gray area. There is no fence. Don't sit on the fence too long. Moving on. 17, look at verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens... I observe that you are very religious in all aspects or all respects. There's your faith. Notice that Paul is acknowledging that their faith is the lead car. 
You have a confident conviction everywhere I look. The question is, what is your faith in? Now watch what he does here. Verse 23, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. Okay, now stop. Stop. This is so beautiful because of what Paul does here. The objects of your worship. The object is the facts. The worship is the feeling that comes out of your faith. Everybody see how the train cars get together? Yes? Okay, so so everybody stick with me here. They are worshiping. We have deep feelings that are bursting over and we're praising and we're sacrificing and we're worshiping and we're also probably sprinkling spices or garlic or something on something. I don't know. But they do all kinds of different things in pagan worship. And it is a response to a conviction that what they are doing is true or it's self-serving or it's going to benefit them in some way. So notice what he's saying here. You're very religious. You're obviously convinced in believing in these things. And what's flowing out of you is worship. But I'm looking at the objects of your worship. And notice something that he points out here that is interesting. I notice the objects of your worship. I also found an altar, a place where feelings are poured out, right? Now watch this. With this inscription, to an unknown God. You know what that tells you? No facts. No facts. Guys, let's not think because this happened in the first century that it's completely disconnected from where we are today. There are tons of people that live like this. They worship all kinds of things and they got all kinds of bubbly feelings about it. They're usually freshmen or sophomores in college. But when they do that, they have no central core of what it is they're believing. There's no object that is worthy of their worship. Everybody knows that the word worship comes from worth-ship, right? When you worship something, you are accrediting or esteeming value to the object of your worship. But if all it is is just trying to get a feeling, and this is usually why there's a lot of turning to drugs, is because it's all about trying to get this feeling because we're convinced that's where we want to be, but it's substanceless. How many stories or or testimonies have you heard where people get involved in that type of activity and they sit there and say, and I was empty after that. Isn't it interesting they all use the word empty? Why? No object. No substance. No facts. There was nothing foundational and sure in the middle of it. It was just me floating off in an unbelief and the ramifications of my actions. And then when all that feeling wore away, because feelings do this, right? When it wore away, what I was really feeling at that moment was emptiness. And that became a truth I had to deal with. Everybody see that? So notice, to an unknown God, you're worshiping stuff you don't even know. I love that Paul doesn't leave them hanging. Watch what he does here. Therefore, while you worship in ignorance, now I wonder how that went over, right? What you worship in ignorance... This I proclaim to you, and watch what Paul does to rectify the F train of these men in Athens. It's awesome. Number one, verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it. Stop. How does he start? Facts, creation. He starts in Genesis 1.1. Let me establish for you who we're talking about here. 
We're talking about the God that made everything. He's the creator. Okay? Notice, that's where he goes. Number two, look what he says after that. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Stop. What does it mean to be Lord? It means to be master. He's supreme. He and he alone, period. Can't add to it. He is the Lord of everything. The Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. In other words, you can't do anything or build anything to contain him. He doesn't need you. Your idols you come to and you're offering to and taking care of and polishing off the bird droppings and that kind of things on your idols. He don't need you to do that. Step down. Get in your humble position where you ought to be before him. Everybody see this? Who else is excited about this? Is it just me? Okay. Every once in a while I need like a, mm, yeah, getting low self-esteem up here. Help me out. Moving on. Verse 25, that's because my F train's out of whack. Moving on, verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. You know what that tells you? He's not just creator. He's not just master. He's not only self-sufficient, he is the source of life. You could not breathe if he did not allow it. You guys realize that every time our lungs expand and we take in oxygen, it's a grace of God in effect. And why is that? Because he can stop that at a moment if he wants to. He has the power to do it. Adam was a form before he lived, but it wasn't until the Lord breathed into his nostrils that he became a living being. Everybody see that? Let's not take life for granted, man. He holds it in his hand. So watch this. He's really correcting a lot of bad thinking. He is really doing everything he can to let them know your train's on the wrong track. Let me give you some facts to connect to so that you can power forward. Watch where he goes after that. And this is, incre- this is one of the most incredible verses I know of in all the Bible. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He is your creator. You are his creatures. He made from one person all y'all, that's what the Greek says, okay? And notice he says, now watch this, because this is insane. If you want something to meditate on for a while, here it is. Look what happened. Having determined their appointed times, okay? And look what he says. And the boundaries of their habitation. You know what that means? It means you were born when you were born and you live where you would live for a reason. God determined it to be so. Now, here's the question. Why? Watch what he says in 27. So that they would seek what? God. There's your facts. In other words, even for lost people, everybody born lost in this world, he set up all of existence, time, history, geography, birth, family, whatever it is, in such a way as to wherever you are born, whenever you are born, is set up for the sole purpose of knowing him. Period. That really gets that religious stuff out of the way and starts getting people saved because they realize there is an authority that is calling the shots. And if my convictions are not in alignment with the authority, I've got a lot of inconsistent, hypocritical issues in my life. Everybody see this? 
Now I have to make a decision about do I just want to be religious and empty substanceless-ness? Sis? You get it, right? Praise the Lord. Okay, or do I actually want to worship something that is worthy? Everybody see this? Okay. That's how Paul deals with the religious crowd. Let's do this last one and then we'll close up. Last one, or the second one. And, and again, these are just two that I brought out that are probably some of the most prominent. If you guys are not aware right now, our culture is suffering from an identity crisis. People do not know who they are. In fact, people don't know who they are and thinking that they should have been something else, and so they have something that's been labeled with corrective surgery in order to be a different person. Has anybody noticed that corrective surgery is loaded language? Because what it says is whoever set it up this way got it wrong, and we got to fix what they got wrong. Everybody see Satan weaving this world system together. The greatest thing is, who am I? In fact, that's one of the biggest things that's going on in the LGBTQ community is the idea of where do I fit in? How do I get along in this life? Where are people going to accept me? I would be scared to death, but we got to think about this, guys. And here's the thing. Let me say very plainly, with the comments I'm going to say, I don't hate gay people. I think that's important to understand. I don't hate transgender people. I don't have hate towards them in any situation. But I would be scared to death that the LGBTQ community is more accepting and loving than the local church of God would be. And we wonder sometimes why people are stragglers. Number one, we're not introducing the facts of the gospel into their life. Instead, we've wholly huddled ourselves and done our Bible study till our brains are going to fall out. But it doesn't do anything for our action taking place. It doesn't do anything for our hearts getting involved in loving people. And here's the thing, if we would just believe what God's word says and get our F trains in line, the power, the works of power of Christ would be working through his church because we are his body. And we would have more confidence and love in presenting the gospel to people. They've done a real good job of accepting people. And they've got Tons of people that have signed up for this. I never forget, I counseled with a, with a, a lesbian one time uh, years and years and years ago. And, and, I, and I, if you've if you got you know, sensitive ears, you can cover up or whatever. But, and I asked her, I said, tell me about what this relationship is like. Tell me how you feel about this relationship. Well, it's so great. We have everything in common and we get along really well. We have some of the same interests and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff like that. She's like, but you know what's odd? She said, every time we get intimate, I get sick to my stomach. I said, does this not tell you something? God is the creator of your body. And he is letting you know that you are violating your conscience in this situation. She didn't want to talk about that. She didn't want to subscribe to that. She didn't want to respond to truth being set before her and herself as a created being testifying to sin and its effects. People are scrambling for, tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. Tell me. Let me ask you a question. If people have this faith, this conviction, faith is the lead car, and I think I'm this, and I think I'm this, and I think I'm this. Well, I want to be this. Well, I'm this. And man, don't act like you're not like that because as soon as we labeled ourselves as Republicans and Democrats, we've fallen into the bear trap, okay? It's just them. It's not me. Liar, okay? 
It's us. It's very much us. Remember, when something stinks, it's closest to us, okay? So if that is the case, how do we deal with that? Where would you go in the Bible to give someone identity? Everybody turn to Genesis 1. Don't you think that it's interesting that after God establishes himself as the authority and the creator of all things, we're only 26 verses into the very first chapter of Scripture, and God gives identity. And here's the great thing about this passage. You're free to not believe it. You're free to let faith be the lead car. But I would be interested to see what your answer is other than God's answer for this. Does that make sense? Here, God is going to give the human race before anything ever starts some facts. Chapter 1, verse 26, look what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Everybody see distinction of the sexes, but yet coupled together in one group under the headship of the Trinity making us in the likeness and image. Does everybody see this? If you're wondering who you are, this is it. You are someone who's created in the image and the likeness of God. Notice it's not your job that gives you your identity. Notice it's not your friends that give you your identity. It's not the bar that you frequent every Friday night that gives you your identity. It's not your church that gives you your identity. It's God. God gives you who you are. Does everybody see that? Look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I asked Art one time, what do you think if we were trying to hook up a connection and put two female ends together? What do you think would happen? He said, geez, I think we'd blow the place up. Probably. I just saw a news article from Nebraska, I think it was. Two married men wanted to have a baby. And so one of the, one of, get this though, one of the men's mothers, who was 61, decided that she would be the surrogate for the child. Well, no, let's be honest. That's where we are. That's where we are in our thinking. Why is that? Because the conviction is, I want to have a child, right? That's the conviction. I should be able to marry someone of the same sex, and I should be able to have a child. And oh, by the way, I've got to think of something to do because the facts of the situation are standing in my way. The plumbing doesn't work, does it? No. And so notice, I've got to find a way to circumvent the truth and disregard it, and instead our newspapers are going to paint it how it's this miraculous and beautiful, selfless, giving love story. And wow, what a beautiful thing to paint about the family. You think Satan's at work? Do you think there are any facts to trust in there? You see what I'm saying? 
we're having to compensate because we're denying the facts that anatomy doesn't work and bring in outside sources in order to accomplish purposes because we believe it's to be true. What if somebody stepped in and said, you were preciously, lovingly, intentionally made to be who you are and to exist in a relationship with the opposite sex because that's the only way that things work together in order to produce children in the same image and likeness of God himself. There's your engine. There's your facts. There's your power. Now let me say this. How come everybody doesn't just all of a sudden look at the Bible and get their engine up front? You know, why is it that we've always got to have, it seems like a, 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 a terrible thing going on. Well, if I just get my faith up front here and, you know, I'm going to put my feelings right here, I really believe in that. Well, here's the reason why. Notice when you get faith up front, it's what you really believe about something. And then you have all of these feelings that you're trying to conjure from these substanceless convictions. You all of a sudden get the facts in the back. Can't move anything. There's too many boundaries and obstacles. And you actually end up reinterpreting what is real. Well, God wants us to be happy. Now stop. Is that a true statement? I think God does want us to be happy. His way. Not your way. In fact, doesn't Jesus say, abide in me. And my words abide in you. You can ask anything you want. I'll give it to you. Just as I abided in my Father. So you abide in me. So that my joy... Stop. Is that a feeling? So that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be what? Complete. It would be full. Of course God wants us to have joy. But we have got to stop letting this run everything. Having confident convictions about nothing so that we can scratch that itch of sin. Because somehow we think that'll make us happy. Well, you shouldn't do that. Uh, well, that's your conviction, not mine. Well, it's because your train's out of whack that you're thinking that way. Guys, God has spoken. God has spoken. If our dabbling in sin is because of our ignorance of the Word, there's the problem. If our conflicted viewpoints as far as life and existence, choices, relationships, problems, whatever it is, God has spoken. The question we have to ask is, does our faith have a substance, a fact, power that is moving our train forward? Are you stalled out? Are you stalled out on the track? Something to wrestle with. Something to think about. Definitely something to pray about. Let's do that. Father, thank you for our time together. Reasoning through this idea of if faith is the lead car. Lord, you've given us the opportunity to exercise conviction and we praise you and we thank you for that. But Lord, we need to be solely rested in the Word of God as the truth. If our thinking is amiss, correct us today. Help us to realize that Your Word is sufficient for everything we need to thoroughly equip us for life and godliness. Every good work. Every good work done properly. Thank You for loving us enough to give us the truth, to give us the facts, to lead us in a way that we ought to go. And Father, if there's anyone here who's thinking through how they handle their life, and they realize that they are on a wrong track, today would be the day 
to actually believe something that matters, to believe your word, your authoritative truth. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name, amen.